Can I rant for a sec? Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff Won't Ever Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. And today we're doing sort of a... Welcome back to school <laughs> episode. Oh, sure. Yeah, uh, about student debt. So not the happiest look at, at student debt or going back to school, but, you know, we thought we would talk about it. And as part of this, I wanted to ask you, because I went to Georgia Tech, uh, Georgia Technical Institute, because... I could pay for it uh, because of Georgia has a the Hope Scholarship. And so it was a very financial decision for me. And I have never had student debt. But I know that you have, Samantha, if you'd mm-hmm. be willing to talk to us right. about that. So I'm interested, though. You did, Was your housing and such covered? I had to pay for the housing, okay. which was about $1,800. And I had to pay for books. But uh, I think I've talked about it before. I was very, I saved a lot of money as a kid. Mm. Uh, So I was able to pay for it out out of my pocket. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, because I was able to get Hope as well, uh, which Mm -hmm. is a local program in in Georgia. And I know uh, it's nationwide, but it's a program that is taken out of the Georgia lottery or the lottery system um, for schools. And when I was getting it, and I guess you were too at that point, it was fairly new. Um, I think it came out from my sister uh, when she went to school, and it provides uh, scholarship tuition for any state schools um, and will do so for those with 3.0 GPAs. And I think it's changed now to 3.2? Yes, they changed it for uh, specifically technical kind of pursuits. Maybe maybe for everything, but I know for Georgia Tech, uh, they were yeah. like, oh, God, it's so hard. <laughs> Let's give them a bigger a bigger rate of success. Yeah. Okay. So, it, got, it went, the, the uh, qualifications went higher. So, if you don't hit 3.2, you couldn't receive it because too many people were getting it. It was getting drained very, very quickly, mm. not surprisingly. But also, we know that pre-K and such has also been uh, paid out by the lottery system as well, although it takes a lot to qualify to get into pre-K for a lot of those children. And yes, I had to take out student loans because I did not have money uh, for housing or transportation or for um, books, which, yeah, Hope 
scholarship covered tuition and about one book, <laughs> one yeah. or two books. And I had to try to uh, have a job, and I did. I had a job, but it was really hard to do jobs and trying to do college at the same time. Maybe I'm not intelligent enough that I couldn't keep up with both, um, especially with a car payment, especially with, so I, from the age six, like I've told the story that I started working at the age of 13 at a Dairy Queen um, and has been work, have been working since then. Because it's not something that has ever been important in my family. They love education. They value it. But it's not something that you have to have, essentially, which is kind of funny because we did by the time our age group came around. Like, you know, we had to because that's the minimal qualifications. Um, Way back when, you didn't have to. That was amazing if you had a college education. Uh, But in our generation, of course, that's what we had to have. And trying to do that if I could have gone to a local school, but I would have been very miserable trying to go back and forth. Uh, I could have done, you know, all these things. So part of that was getting loans for living situations. By the time I got into my core curriculum, which is uh, past the core curriculum into my major, which was social work, I had to do a practicum. And what that means is I literally spent 30 hours a week to uh, your minimum of 20 hours a week to intern for free. I was told by the person who was my, I guess, supervisor or person who was giving me my grade that the minimum was not enough and I should be able to do more. Found out later she was a very rich girl who had a lot of money and didn't need to have an, another job. And she was going through a divorce, so it took it out on me. Fun times. Um, but... That has nothing to do with any of this. But because of that, I had to take loans or I could not do job, intern, practicum, and all of that. I went to DFACS for a year, the most miserable year of my life. I quit abruptly because I was having panic attacks in the middle of driving um, and not sleeping at all and having nightmares. And so therefore I quit. I went on unemployment for a little while, uh, deferred on my loans, and those times. And then also another time I had to, uh, I got, I got uh, laid off from a job, had to defer my loans. That in that process, my uh, balance went from less than 10000 to more than 25000 because of the interests. So Ooh. this is what I'm talking about. And this is a scam. I owe mo- more in interest, three times more in interest than I do what I originally owed. Um, and I, even with a college degree, I made, I started out very less than 30000 I got, I think later on, I worked for 10 years in it again after I left to go to uh, be a nanny. And I still made less than 35000 with three different promotions. So that was kind of the field that I was on. And it was impossible to actually pay that off. So I would do the minimum, which does not pay anything but the interest. So the principal remains and it keeps accruing that interest because all you're doing is paying off interest. And that's how I got stuck. And even to this day, I still have some debt left um, and I'm watching this whole debt relief. I'm paying a little more, I can pay a little more, but now I don't qualify for what we'll talk about in a minute, which is um, income-based repayment. Uh, and that I was able to pay the minimum amount, which is why I also am still in debt. So that's my story. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I hope you'll, because we have a section at the end <laughs> about uh, mental toll of debt. Mm-hmm. I will talk. Okay, perfect. I mean, I'm, it makes me sad, but yes, I, I hope you will <laughs> talk about it. Uh, I, yeah, I was very fortunate that I haven't had this situation, but I have a lot of friends who have. And just hearing them talk about the the stress, like everyday stress of it, the toll of it. Uh, and, and I've had friends cry when they paid off their debt, like just sob. Celebrate. We celebrate. Yeah. For sure. I will celebrate. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. And I think we're not going to get into this too much in this episode. But uh, one of the things that stuck out to me in doing this research uh, was times have just changed. I feel like we're basing things on like the 50s. And right now, there's this promise of, oh, if you go to college you're going to make money and you're going to be fine. And it's not necessarily true. It's not necessarily true anymore. 
Not at、yeah. all.、Mm-hmm. You're accruing more debt for something that's not、yeah. valuable anymore. Yeah, and it's it's the expense of getting that education has gone up、uh, when the salary associated with it has not gone up at all.、Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're we're going to talk about that more.、Um, and I did want to mention、uh, in 2010, I was. Contacted by, I come from a small town. I was contacted by、uh, our local newspaper writer、uh, when I was working at what was then How Stuff Works, essentially the same company I work for now.、Um, and it was the recession because 2008 was the big recession. That's when I was in college and graduated. Uh, and he was like, tell, tell the young folks how to get a job. And I just remember thinking, like, I can't, I don't know. Like, it's changing. <laughs> it's changing. I'm lucky. And what happened to me is lucky. And not that I didn't work for it, but I was in a very fortunate position. I can't give you. It's a recession. It's bad.、Right. Like, don't、right. come to me. <laughs> That kind of advice because I don't have it. Right. I don't have it.、Um, okay. So let's get into what we're talking about and specifically some numbers、um, because they are pretty sobering when it comes to student debt.、Uh, so, to start, one of five Americans has student debt. And from Investopedia, Quote, student loan debt is what's owed to a lender that provides funding for higher education. This money is often primarily used to pay tuition, but also can be used for school supplies, basic necessities, and anything else that a borrower purchases during their academic career. Most students will be unable to pay for college without financial aid. Even if they receive funding from parents andor scholarships due to how the price of higher education has escalated over time. And yeah, that's something like I remember filling out FAFSA and it being such a huge deal and just hoping, like, oh, I need, I need this support from the government and it's going to determine what school I go to or if I go to school at right. all. Yeah,、um, I got into that. was the other part to that is I was doing, I was working after school at a daycare and then I was、uh, doing clubs that gave me like a $500 check and, and in order to go to college. I was like, great, that's going to be the first month's rent or whatever, whatnot,、um, because it was so significant. And, and yeah, like, I don't know about you.、I'm, actually, I do know. I, like, things that accumulate in those costs, including, again, we're talking about board and, but food. And parking、yes. is some of the most、yes. significant costs in there. And I know for Georgia State, because my niece just graduated, they would not allow freshmen to have cars there, which I was like, okay, I get it to a certain extent, but she's in Atlanta. Like, at least when I was in Athens, the community was short enough that I could walk pretty easily, but Atlanta、mm-hmm. has, is not very walkable. As we talked、no. about before, no, yeah, that parking that parking fee was serious, and, and there are just some things you look back on and you're like, wow, I was really making kind of a devil's deal with, yeah.、Uh, I guess I'll eat this very <laughs> low calorie <laughs> frozen meal that I can get on my meal plan, and that's my one meal for the day,、um, right? Which is taking that Ziploc back to the dorms to、yes. the food halls, yes. Hmm. <laughs> Rant for a sec. Please. Pay apps are way too public. What happened? Some rando hearted a payment from five months ago, and I realized people can see my entire history, who I'm paying, like full names. It's super weird. Yeah, it's weird. How are you paying your friends then? Apple Cash. It's all in messages. You can literally send cash like a text, and it stays between friends. Random people can't see it. Did you just pay me a dollar on Apple Cash? <laughs> Services are provided by Green Dot Bank. Member FDIC. Terms apply. Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over six million active hourly workers, Snag a Job is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs. On demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time. You name the position: warehouse worker. 
retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer? Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. So, here's a quote we wanted to include from the Institution for Women's Policy Research. Following the promise of economic mobility, Americans turned to loans to finance the skyrocketing cost of higher education. By 2019, the average price tag was $23,051 for public four-year institutions and $49,981 for private four-year institutions, up from $10,051 and $24,036 respectively in 1985. And this is all in... $2022. Um, Between 2000 and 2018, the median student debt for white borrowers doubled, but quadrupled for black borrowers. Black women have the highest average student loan debt at $37,558, followed by black men at $35,665. White women owe about $31,346 on average, and white men, $29,862. Hispanic slash Latina women owe $27,029 on average, slightly less than Hispanic Latino men at $27,452. So those are some pretty stark numbers. Um, And here's another one. Women hold about two-thirds of America's 1.6 trillion student loan debt. Uh, This is more than the gross domestic product of pretty much every country, and it's the second highest source of U.S. household debts after housing itself. For women, that equals out to about $833 billion as of 2016. Um, some other numbers are higher in the mid, like, $900 billion range. So it's high. It's high. Whatever you, whatever number you find, that is huge. And it disproportionately hits women of color and especially black women. As of 2017, black women held the highest average student loan debt. And we have a couple of quotes about that. Quote, Black women hold the highest amount of student loan debt of any racial or gender group. AAUW reports that one year after graduation, Black women owe $10,000 more than any other women borrowers. And then further, uh, due to systemic racial discrimination, Black families have far less wealth to draw from for college tuition. This means Black students must borrow more, have increased difficulties paying back those debts, and hold loan debts that take up a larger proportion of their financial resources. And from a CNBC report, The Brookings Institute estimates that on average, Black college graduates owe $52,726 in student debt, while white college grads owe closer to $28,006. And the Urban Institute reports that among borrowers between the ages of 25 and 55 who took on college debt to finance their own undergraduate degree, Black borrowers owe $32,047 on average, while white and Hispanic borrowers owe roughly $18,685 and $15,853, respectively. So that's quite a big difference. 
That is quite a big difference. From the Washington Informer, quote, According to the Institute on Assets and Social Policy, after 20 years in repayment, the typical black borrower still owes 95% of their cumulative borrowing total, while similarly situated white borrowers have reduced their debt by 94%, with nearly half of white borrowers holding no student debt at all. And from the desk of Congresswoman Ayanna Presley, quote, The student debt crisis is one that uniquely affects Black women who are the most educated and indebted demographic group in our country. Generations of policy violence and discriminatory policies like redlining and predatory lending have denied our families the opportunity to build wealth and have forced us to take on crushing amounts of debt that have severely limited our economic futures. Black women owe 22% more than the average student debt load of white women and are the most systematically underpaid, earning just 64 cents to every dollar earned by white men. The disparate impact of the pandemic has only exacerbated these inequities, which, yes, we have talked about. Uh, we cannot separate the gender wage gap and then all the intersectionalities within that in this conversation. From AmericanProgress.org, students attending private for-profit colleges have the worst default rates across all institution types. One-third of all borrowers defaulted within six years of starting at a private for-profit institution, including 42% of Black or African-American borrowers. While the default rates for private for-profit institutions are alarming, there are also concerning gaps by race at public and private nonprofit four-year institutions. At these schools, Black or African-American borrowers had a default rate nearly four times greater than white borrowers and more than double that of Hispanic or Latino borrowers. And uh, more women are completing degrees as compared to men, and they are more likely to pursue higher education as compared to men right now. But that all comes at a cost. According to the American Association of University Women, the AAUW, which we've mentioned earlier, the average American woman holds about $31,276 in student debt. This translates to an average monthly bill of $307 beginning the month after graduation. At the same time, a woman exiting college with a bachelor's degree they are entering a job force where their average salary is around $35,338. So already, this is not good. Um, which is about 81% of what men are expected to earn, by the way. They also found that 41% of female undergraduates took on debt in 2015 to 2016, the latest figures available, compared to 35% of male undergraduates. Upon completion of a bachelor's degree, women's average student debt is about $2,700 greater than men's, and black women take on more student debt on average than do members of any other group. So, uh, obviously, this is a financial burden and is on top of housing, car payments, children, um, if, if children are in the mix. And after women graduate, they face a gender wage gap, uh, one that is worse for women of color and LGBTQ plus folks. And this, among other things, means it will take them at least two years more to pay their student debt compared to men. And all of this compounds into women not having as much to go into retirement or savings, which is a huge deal. And as we've discussed during our many episodes on how the pandemic hit women harder and women of color harder, in the early months of the pandemic, women accounted for almost 60% of unemployment claims, often because of the types of professions they were in and or having to stay home to school their children. And on top of that, while more women are attending college than ever before, the cost has risen exponentially, doubling over the past generation. And this while incomes have remained stagnant. Uh, and the expectations of women around cleaning, child rearing, and basic domesticity are still far higher than what they are for men. And 
Whew, that's not the only layer to the conversation. According to Ernest.com, while this might not be the case in every household, a 2017 survey by T. Rowe Price showed that the parents of all boys were saving more and willing to spend more on their kids' college education than parents of all girls. 50% of parents with only boys had started to save money for their college education compared with 39% of parents who had only girls. And from Investopedia, quote, in fact, female borrowers typically require more education to earn a wage equal to less educated men. To exceed the lifetime earnings of a male graduate with just an associate degree, a woman may need to earn at least a master's degree. Those who receive a graduate education to counteract pay gaps will ultimately take on even more debt and pay more in the long run. And further, according to the Center for Responsible Lending, approximately 25% of all college students in 2018 were parents with dependent children. More than 40% of parents were single mothers. Oh, gosh. And further, 85% of all enrolled college students work while studying. Right. Uh, And honestly, specific needs for higher education for a lot of the fields that we see women, especially black women, marginalized people uh, go into, more oftentimes pay less, but require a higher degree. Um, Like the agency that I worked with, master's often was required, but the cap of the salary was 50,000 for a master's. Um, And that's maybe if you've been in there for a while and you've got some incentives like being a part of the military or something previously. And the fact that it takes that level to get to there, like I was saying, in that same agency, I started off with 27 with a college, with a requirement for a college degree. You move up and it went up to 29 to 33 to 36. So it's phenomenally less. And if you were trying to actually get a degree at the same time, it was almost impossible because it would take you six years with lots of debt because most likely you're going to do it online. And for a long time, it was only privatized for-profit colleges that were offering those type of degrees. Um, So therefore, you were taken advantage of extremely because that's the only one that really offered to people who have a full-time job, a family, any of those things. Um, And hopefully you have access to a computer because if you don't, that's a whole different conversation. In my lifetime, when I was trying to figure out if I wanted to go back for my master's, because I wanted to go into a deeper field, but at the same time, you know, it wasn't about the money. I knew I would have to go into even more debt because I would not qualify for the same uh, scholarships as you, as you do. Um, and then master's program costs about twice to three times to four times as, as the undergraduate programs do. So it's significantly more at the same time trying to do homework. And as I talked about in social work, and I'm sure in, in many other fields, you have to do a practicum or an internship that takes up 20 hours of your week as well. It's a lot. It is. It is such a lot. And I... It kind of sounds trite, but I'm just reminded of when we played life together, Samantha, <laughs> the game of life. And so much of it felt like a pay to play. And this that this feels like that to me. Like you have to pay, you have to go into debt to get this degree that will supposedly get you the job, but it doesn't really get you the job anymore. Like it might, but it, it's not a guarantee at all. And yeah, so... If you aren't able to find a well-paying job after graduating, as many are not, and you can't pay your student loans, a person can be labeled as a delinquent, uh, which can in turn lead to their loans defaulting, which in turn can put a major dent in their credit report, which I still think is nonsense, but uh, that's a future episode. (laughs) Whether or not it's nonsense, it can be a huge deal, and it can affect a lot of what you want to buy or accomplish. Um, And the type of college matters too. Here's another quote from Investopedia. Although all of these amounts are high, the difference between the cost of public four-year institutions and for-profit four-year ones is stark. They may not enroll as many students as public universities, but for-profit institutions disproportionately enroll women, particularly black women and or single mothers. And they also report... 
From one to four years following graduation, women had paid off 31% of their outstanding debt compared to the 38% that men paid off. Black and Hispanic women were significantly further behind during the same time period at 12% and 18% respectively. Additionally, the AAUW found that 57% of black female borrowers in 2008 to 2012 faced financial difficulties while paying down their debt compared to 42%, 30%, and 28% for Hispanic, white, and Asian women respectively. And... When it comes to the LGBTQ plus community, numbers are lacking. But one study from the Williams Institute out of UCLA School of Law found that 51% of trans adults have taken out federal educational loans in comparison to 35.9% of LBQ cisgendered women and 27.9% of GBQ cisgendered men. On top of that, trans people are more likely to go through credit rejection. Uh, people who identify as LGBTQ plus owe an average $16,000 more as compared to those who do not identify that way. And here's another quote from Investopedia. Additionally, a 2017 survey conducted by the Center for the Study of Student Life at The Ohio State University found that the 244 participants who identified as either transgender men or gender nonconforming were more likely to take out a loan to pay for college, 8.2%, somewhat more likely to have student loan debt, 3.9%, and slightly more likely to rely on financial assistance from family members to pay for college expenses, 2.2%, than their cisgender counterparts. Uh, the report also detailed how trans folks were more likely to face discrimination, rejection, and bullying, leading them to drop out of school or for their grades or suffer and perhaps prolonging their schooling and increasing their debt. Um, so there's that. And then uh, all of this sticks around from Go Banking. About 14% of women in that age range have $10,000 to $30,000 in student loan debts, and another 14% have $30,001 to $50,000. That means that at the age when they should be scrambling to max out their 401ks and IRAs, more than one woman in four is approaching retirement with $10,000 to $50,000 in student loan debt. About 7% have $50,001 to $70,000 in college debt, and 4% have between $70,001 and $100,000, and another 4% have more than $100,000. And so this has been a very quote-heavy and number-heavy episode, but I just want to reiterate the, the mental toll, the emotional toll that this has. Um which I've seen in my friends. Like I said, I've seen them cry when they finally paid off their loans. I've seen them cry when they realized they wouldn't be paying off their loans as quickly as they thought they would. And just this thing that hovers over you um, that, you know, I don't want to speak for everybody, but from personal experience, like sometimes you go to school and you don't know what you want. Um, you don't know what you really want to do. And then to be in debt for something that maybe is not going to serve you, <laughs> whether it's because times have changed and the college degree doesn't mean as much as it once did, or because you were young when you decided to do this thing and then you changed your mind. Like, to have this just bill like always coming you owe this much money it takes an emotional toll i mean definitely when you talk about people who don't know what they want to do they often don't use the degree that they get um because they had no idea what it would involve and it doesn't have real world applications um when you leave and i'm thinking about both my my field i'm like i did know what I wanted when I left. Obviously, I couldn't sustain it because it wasn't enough for me to live on um, in that field. And I know people who do it, but I also know people who do it are in like a couple of them that are able to have dual income. And they still, that's still a stretch. That's still a stretch. And even those people, 
go into what I've done too when I had two or three jobs at a time um, trying to do so. I have a friend who, yeah, she got her master's and she works in the same field, but she's having to do another job on top of that because she's still paying off not only her debt, but just trying to live day by day. Um, and what is increasingly become unfair for those who we would lo- put in the lower economic status, uh, just having struggles in society because we cannot pay rent we cannot pay uh, car payments, we cannot pay with inflation, all of those things, that this cost of just getting food has gotten high uh, and it's always gone high and then we don't have an increase on what was the minimum wage. So therefore, if the bottom, if the person who is getting paid the bare minimum is not enough for a living wage from even 10 years ago, there's no up ladder for anybody else either because that's still the precedent that it holds unless it's a nonprofit, which maybe you can get into. You better hope you can get into, but you better hope you've had experience to get into that. There's so many things that causes so many issues with these conversations because we also know that the credit system didn't get set up till 1989. And the same people who are whining about the fact that we needed to just get over it and pay for it are the same people who never had to deal with the same level of scrutiny that we have to. We know that these practices were placed to give capitalist ideas ideas a step above and putting and this was a racist tactic in what is being placed on who is being economically uh, who is given the economic advantage and I say this as a person that is uh, I guess my debt is like a white person even though Asian people have done a little better because that's a whole different conversation you know like there's just a whole level um, but when it comes down to it it's so I I gave up at one point in time when I went into, when I lost my job, trying to figure out what I wanted to do, not trying not to lose my mind or maybe my my health, um, I gave up. And it re- really was, I'll never be able to be free of this. So therefore, I'll just pay the minimum till I die and hope that it just disappears after that. Um, because I think my parents will be dead. I'm not going to have kids, so they're not going to take it. So let's just cross our fingers. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that's, that's what's going to happen. Um, because there's so much to that that I'm like, I can never do a job that's so stressful, but I, I feel like I was supposed to do and pay off. So if I was getting, like, if you think about it mathematically, my actual salary before taxes was 27, 90 something, 900 something. Take away taxes. We know that's like a third of it is gone. So now we're putting it down to 16,000 a year and then trying to live on my own, having my own car payments, paying bills, having the student loan that is not helping me whatsoever. And if I may maybe can do extracurricular stuff, then yeah. But I literally was getting, I think at that point, 800 and something dollars per paycheck, which was like great for a new person who never had money outside of the minimum wage. And that was below minimum wage for the hours that I was working. It was almost impossible uh, to keep up with. I think 800 was too high. Maybe it was like seven. Yeah, I think it was seven something. Because I was trying to figure it out, and this includes hopefully I'm being healthy and I don't have to go see a doctor because all of that is a part of this. Um, I just literally, it was, I would sit, I remember sitting crying at my friends trying to figure out how to do this, how to pay my bills, because what I was doing was getting credit cards with high interest rates and paying it with that. So that was not helpful either because I was trying to obtain it. So I just finally gave up on everything on everything. You know, I actually got a dog, which was amazing for my mental health, but I had almost had to pay $4,000 for his health bills. So on top of that, it was, it was impossible. I, I never felt so defeated. And I still kind of feel that way today. Like I've got, I'm in a better place. Obviously I've been able to buy a house and I'm not gloating, but honestly it's because it was paused and the way everything worked out, it got bought out by a different company. So it looked like it got paid off. So mm. I hit the sweet spot. And I'm, I'm being very personal about my finances about this. But I hit mm-hmm. a sweet spot where it didn't show up on my credit. So I was able to have more borrowing power, which I didn't go I didn't go outside of my scope. I was like, nope, I'm, I've, I've learned at this point. <laughs> mm-hmm. I've learned better. Um, but yeah, it, it's a hard 
thing coming back into this reality and checking it and trying to figure out how to do best do this and knowing that I'm in a better place than I was before, but also feel this whole like, I cannot believe I'm still dealing with this 20 years later um, for a degree that literally got me paid nothing. Yeah. And then being told it's so important. Yeah. I think that's the one of the biggest things that's frustrated me about this whole conversation is that the idea is you go to college, you'll get a, a well-paying job. Right. And that's not true. Uh, right. It might be, but generally that is not something you can trust anymore if it ever right. was something you could trust. Ever. Ever. Right. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring with access to over 6 million active hourly workers. Snag a job is the all in one solution for hiring high quality employees who can cover all your needs on demand, tempt to hire part-time or full-time you name the position warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store, clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah. Snag a job's got a worker for that. With our easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. So visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly Boring Since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group, Incorporated. PNC Bank National Association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. We do have some, I don't know, possible solutions, things people are talking about, (laughs) right, Samantha? (laughs) So I guess we do have some new conversations because it's become uh, part of the limelight and become a big controversy. Uh, But we know during the pandemic, uh, there's been a pause on the federal student loan payments. Again, like I said, it's helped me out. Um, And through these talks uh, of uh, extensions, and there may be more, there's more talks of it coming through, possibly until at least 2023. Who knows? Because it's supposed to end this month. But the end is nigh, as as we would like to say, because we know this can't be forever. Just like how little stimulus they gave us, this is very little that they will give us as well. But the discussion has been ongoing, um, and so we thought we would take a moment to talk about what some of the solutions that have been proposed by different organizations, maybe uh, our federal representatives, whatever, and even individuals about best possible solutions. Of course, the big one, which I've been really crossing my fingers for, and a lot of us have, is just canceling all of the student debt, just point blank canceling it now. Um, Of course, this would be too close to having a free education and too socialist, I'm sure, for so many people. So the likelihood of this is very, very low. We also know when it comes to uh, capitalism, federal loans, educational loans have been privatized. Thanks, Davis. (laughs) It was privatized before. Don't get me started, I know, <laughs> but as well as the fact that, yes, people have a lot of money in this to get those interest rates, to get that payment, because that's how they trickle into the economy is taking it from people at the bottom of the rung. We know this. Um, but another idea, and the one that seems to be kind of the most likely 
today, and I'll, I'll say that today because it changes a lot, is forgiving up to somewhere in the 10,000 to 50,000 range. So the conversation has thrown out all these different numbers. Uh, one has been the 10,000, there's another that's at 25,000, there's another at 50,000. And ideas run from having the Secretary of Education to move forward with le- legislation uh, to get in that uh, to Biden, President Biden actually signing an executive order, which was actually one of the uh, things that Elizabeth Warren, Representative Warren, has uh, put her platform against saying, I will cancel student loans. And she has been a big voice in this, uh, as well as several other representatives as well. But she's talking about uh, doing an executive order in order to do that. But currently, White House Press Secretary has alluded to the fact that Biden will more more likely sign for a $10,000 forgiveness for everyone which I've seen comments of like, that's great and all, but how does that really help for an $80,000 loan that I have? And again, when we talk about what it looks like with interest rates and what you're paying off, and I know this happens with uh, houses too, this this whole system is corrupt. <laughs> and of course, there has been suggestions that there should be uh, no interest loans, as in zero interest, which has been a pain in the butt for many people, this interest rate. Again, I say this, even though the interest rate is low, when it completely spirals out, it's like a never-ending hole. Um, But then there's another possibility, which is to offer 0% interest until 2024, which sounds like a really big cop-out to me. Um, But uh, yeah, one of the short-term ideas. Um, And then there's a conversation. What about the bigger picture? What about the long-term fixes? Um, And some have had suggested the usage of the public service loan forgiveness. As a person who was in public service, it is so difficult to get this type of loan. And by the way, you have to be there for 10 years uninterrupted with perfect credit almost and perfect payment uh, repayment records, as well as you must get documentation from each employee. The, the, the level of requirements that you have to meet is hard, y'all. And that's why so many people were denied. And people try to use this as I like, see, we're doing something different. We're helping, we're helping our teachers and our people. They're not. They're not. Mm-hmm. They're not. <laughs> this was introduced, by the way, in 2007, um, but has not been usable until this year, really, with uh, previous restrictions being changed, as well as some prior ineligible payments to be counted. So there's a type of loan that you can count this for, but now you can count these. Um, so the waiver has changed, but that has a time limit right now. So if you don't do it, I think before December, you cannot qualify it. But that that is that conversation about trying to extend uh, this these waivers. Um, and I will say I don't qualify because I'm not there still. Mm. I really want like at least just take it off for the ten years I worked there. No. <laughs> nope. um, so uh, there's also the conversation of making the income-driven payments, which I talked about earlier, which has always been an option, but not necessarily helpful when it comes to paying off, again, the principal. I have to keep talking about that. More accessible, as well as capping the monthly payments to 10% or less of the discretionary income. So that would make it significant. But again, if they don't change what kind of interest rates they're getting, it doesn't matter. They're just paying off the interest rates. Uh, again, at the very least, putting people who have defaulted on the loans to go to good standing in their credit reports, which would be significantly helpful for those who have defaulted. Again, this is a minor solution for a huge problem. Right. That doesn't seem like it's going to elevate much at all. Um, again, but even with all of these ideas outside of outright, again, canceling outright all of the student debt. The overall debt can still be a deterrent for so many people trying to get debt-free and trying to move forward in their lives, whether it includes trying to buy large purchases like a home or uh, trying to start the next phase in their family planning. This is a huge impact and what is happening. It carries on for a long, long time. And again, there's also this whole level of buying out, which I mentioned earlier, that causes so much confusion and can cause a lot of chaos. Yeah, it is a very confusing conversation in a lot of ways. And it's one of those things that the more I read about it, the more I was like, yeah, this is this is messed up that we're essentially expecting people to go into debt so they can make money maybe, and they probably won't. Um, and this will be haunting them for the rest of their lives. It does have a huge emotional mental toll. It does have a huge impact on family planning, on like buying how anything, any of your future decisions, it just seems like uh, another way we're set up to fail. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Indeed. Indeed. And I just want to say uh, this has been uh, kind of a negative, I guess a downer, uh, which we we don't shy away from ever. But I do want to say I really enjoyed my college experience. I feel like I learned a lot that wasn't even... Uh, the subjects I studied, but also just had to argue and formulate points. And, you know, the college experience can vary. For people, I made friendships and memories that have lasted my life. My dad was a college professor, and he was so adamant and um, just really, really... It was so important to him. It was so important to him, and he loved doing that. Um, So... I don't want it to sound like <laughs> we're saying never go to college, but there's something wrong here. Like this is this is not set up in a way that is working. I hope that we can find a way so that it is accessible for everybody and it does not come with a massive debt. Well, you know, uh, welcome back to school, as we said. <laughs> and uh, as always, if you have any resources or things we should look into further about this or personal stories you'd like to share, that would be fantastic. You can email us at stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can find us on Twitter at momstuffpodcast or on Instagram at stuff I never told you. Thanks as always to our super producer, Christina. You're the best, Christina. Yes, indeed. And thanks to you for listening. Stuff Never Told You's production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. This episode is brought to you by PNC Bank, who believes some things in life should be boring, like banking. Because boring is safe and responsible, level-headed and wise. All things you want your bank to be. You don't want your bank to be cool or sexy. Sexy is for 80s hair bands, not banks. That's why PNC Bank strives to be boring with your money so you can be happily fulfilled with your life. PNC Bank, brilliantly boring since 1865. Brilliantly boring since 1865 is a service mark of the PNC Financial Services Group Incorporated. PNC Bank, a national association, member FDIC. The state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at a historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laughing as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. As important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner. Gene! Gene Fodor! Gene was good! But be careful, because the worst trips result when two partners have two different agendas. The CIA really need your help, Gene. Freeze, Americano! Gene, run! Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.